welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 50. Woohoo! We've made it to, a, to 50 episodes. My God, guys. Can you believe it? <laughs> uh, and 50th episode means we are starting Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And uh, today, we are incredibly excited to be kicking off Next Gen. We're going to open with a little section, just kind of talking about the origins of the Next Gen. It'll be brief, and then we'll get right into uh, Farpoint and Naked Now from the first season. Here we go. Okay, so, um, like I said, we'll keep this kind of brief. Uh, it's been two years since we did, did, did DS9, so I don't remember exactly how we did that. But, uh, um, you know, so, of course, uh, Next Gen wouldn't have happened without the original series. Um, uh, you know, the original series was 66 to 69, but it really wasn't terribly successful. It wasn't until the uh, reruns in the 70s. Um, they'd planned to move forward with a new series. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. What was that? It wasn't Star Trek to, uh, Phase 2, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. For the motion, ended up being the motion picture, yeah. Right. So it was, the Star Wars film came out in 77. It was so successful that... Uh, they said, instead of doing a TV series, we're going to do movies. And then with the original cast, they uh, started making features in 79 with the uh, motion picture. And of course, those features went through in the 80s. But all through, even into the 80s, a lot of local stations around the country, because of the success of the original series uh, reruns through the 70s, they were still kind of asking for new episodes from um, uh, Paramount well into the 80s. Um, so Paramount, you know intelligently uh, approached Roddenberry about creating a new show. Um, the idea that to, to make it set 78 years into the future of, well, you know, Kirk and Spock's time, um, I think generally there was the idea that this understanding that um, you couldn't really recast those roles. Now, decades later, I guess they were able to do it with Abrams, and it makes a little more sense because we'd been so long. But in the '80s, you were you were still making features with the original guys. You really couldn't have recast that. Um, and of course, um, having different actors, uh, if you can't recast, and you want to have different actors for among other reasons to make the show cheaper, um, then that's another reason to come up with all new characters, um, a new setting. Uh, probably added to the idea of making it cheaper, but just to make it kind of last longer, to kind of reboot the whole thing with um, entirely new characters. Um, so, you know, to make Roddenberry interested, he would not have been interested if he couldn't do something kind of new. Um, so, these kind of general, you know, their entire books written on this subject, and I'm super glossing over it. But uh, um, it was. At the time, it was kind of an unusual idea, right? We're, we're, we're still doing this Star Trek show, but it's 78 years into the future. It's, it's going to look very different and stuff, but it's still going to be Star Trek. So I think there was always this interesting balance between the kind of stuff we take for granted now because we've had so much modern Star Trek. But, you know, in 1986, when they were preparing and creating this show, and then 87 when it was launching, uh, none of this had been done. Uh, of course, famously, all the networks passed on it. Uh, ABC, CBS, NBC, and I think Fox even was just getting started this time, and I think they passed on it as well. Um, so Paramount ended up making the show and then selling it into syndication, which nowadays, that's not a big thing. I mean, it's pretty common and normal, and, and that's how you make a lot of shows nowadays. But that is that was uh, 
really unprecedented in 1987. Um, there was no such thing as that. It, it sounds kind of silly, but you know, if, you, if when we were growing, when I was a kid, uh, it was a network show or it wasn't a show. You know, um, so that made uh, production very, very different on Next Gen. Um, that was pretty unprecedented at the time. But among other things, uh, that allowed them to, to, to they, they weren't, um, um, they weren't being kind of reined in the way that they would have with the networks. The things weren't predefined for them. They were able to do a lot of stuff uh, that, that to specifically make Next Gen different from the original series. And I think the most fundamental difference for me, watching the show now. Um, is the way they made it so much more of an ensemble show. And we're going to get into that as we talk about the episode, I think. But clearly, they designed it. The, the original series was designed from the outset as mostly like Kirk and a very you know, Western kind of thing. You know, this, this, this man out there on this, in, the out, in, in the wilderness, you know, and, and just something as simple as Kirk always going down with the away team, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He was the away team. That was the show. Uh, Next Gen was such so much more of an ensemble show. Um, Picard doesn't go down with the away team. That's you know Riker's job. And it, I mean, it, it, from a from a like ambassador point of view or, or, or a military point of view, it actually makes a lot more sense uh, for this show to be this way. But if you think about the shows that were popular in the early '80s, um, stuff like Hill Street Blues, uh, and there are plenty of other examples. But you know. Uh, the, these dramatic shows were ensemble shows in the way that they really they weren't as much uh, in the '60s when the original series uh, was created. So it, it made more sense for a show premiering in September of '87 um, to go that direction. Um, they were, of course, they were also able to completely update the technology, and they really went out of their way. And I still feel this because if you watch the original series. And it makes, again, it makes sense, the time in which the show was produced. And living your life with technology was such a kind of more of a, it was a, it was a newer concept in the 60s, right? You know, the, the even like the control panels, they're very, gad, they're, they're, you touch things, you turn knobs, you know, and it, it was the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, all technology, it, it, technology had like such, it was, um, I don't know, it was kind of integrated into the storylines, like, uh, you know, in a different way, as opposed to, Next Gen, um, Roddenberry had this concept in the 80s of, he called it technology unchanged, or <laughs> unchanged, haha, unchained, technology unchained. And, and you see that with stuff like, like the consoles and, and that they're supposed to be the kind of stuff we have now with tablets, right? Where it's, it's almost a, um, uh, the interface can change, it's contextual, right? You can, mm-hmm. you can change depending on your needs and it's, and it's just this flat panel, um, which, I don't even know if anybody was conceiving of that sort of thing in the 60s, but by the 80s, it was, it was an, an interesting concept for the future. It was, there was this realization, I think, that, that um, technology was becoming too bloated for its to, – to, it could no longer serve its own purpose. It wasn't aiding our lives. It was actually an encumbrance now. You know, so there was this vision that eventually technology was going to become more natural and infused in our lives in this way. And you can even see that in the, in the differences between the way they designed the Enterprise in the original series to uh, uh, Next Gen. You know, the, the, the 1701D is this very cur- curvaceous ship and um, 
there are windows everywhere. Everybody has a window. Everybody can see out, you know. Uh, it, it's much more about living your life on the ship as opposed to the, the 1701, the original. It was, it was more of almost like a Navy vessel in, in the concept that you were going out on this, this mission. There were no families, for example. Um, of course, Next Gen had families. It was a much larger ship. It, several times as uh, many people could be on the ship. Um, it was more of a city in space, and because of people, people were going to live there. They were they were living there for, for many years, and um, it wasn't as much of a mission as it was life. Um, so everything was uh, stuff like, for example, technology. Everything was just so much more kind of naturally and in, in a more organic way um, written in to this show. Um, <clears throat> So I think generally the concept that it was going to be more of an ensemble show um, probably affected it more than anything else. Um, this is the one thing I keep going back to. Whenever we, I do remember when we started talking about DS9, we talked a lot about the ways that it was specifically different from Next Gen. You know, the way they went out of their way uh, to say it was it was this old West town, you know, um, and it was this. There's obviously this this station that people are going to keep coming back to, um, but Next Gen had its own kind of unique. If DS9 was trying to be different than Next Gen, Next Gen was trying to be both different than the original series and similar at the same time. So I think that you know they always had this issue of 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 making it different, but not so different that it. I mean, it still had to be Star Trek. You know, um, and one thing I'm going to keep, I'm going to go back to a lot as we talk about the episodes today, uh, is that one of the things I think everybody takes for granted is how much these first couple of episodes, how much this pilot in particular, how much of it really was not exactly created from scratch, but so well defined that basically it was going to define a new Star Trek. Uh, for decades, even Enterprise is is probably more influenced from. I mean, it's obvious that DS9 and Voyager are direct descendants of Next Gen, uh, but even Enterprise is, I think, you know, more influenced by the Trek that was created from Next Gen uh, than the original series. Um, you guys have any comments? I'm, I'm trying to trying to go over this super super fast so we can just get into it. But anything you guys wanted to add to any of that? I don't think so. No, I think it's good summary. Yeah, good summary. Um, let's uh, talk about the show then. Encounter at Farpoint, Season 1, Episode 1, Production Number 721, Original Air Date, September 28, 1987, Written by D.C. Fontana and Gene Roddenberry, Directed by Corey Allen, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Primary Cast, Patrick Stewart as Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Jonathan Frakes as Commander William Riker, LeVar Burton as Geordie LaForge, Denise Crosby as Tasha Yar, Michael Dorn as Worf, Gates McFadden as Dr. Beverly Crusher, Marina Sirtis as Deanna Troy, 
Brent Spiner as Lieutenant Commander Data, and Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher. Guest cast include John Delancey as Q, Michael Bell as Zorn, Cole Meany as Battlebridge Khan, Carrie Hiroyuki as Mandarin Bailiff, Timothy Dang as Main Bridge Security, David Erskine as Bandy Shopkeeper, Evelyn Guerrero as Young Female Ensign, Chuck Hicks as Military Officer, Jimmy Ortega as Torres, and special guest appearance by DeForest Kelly. The new USS Enterprise-D and its crew set out to boldly go where no one has gone before. Their first mission is to explore the mystery surrounding the creation of the Far Point Station, located on a planet in DB-5. En route to Far Point, Captain Picard and his crew first meet Q, a mysterious and powerful being, denounces the human race as barbarians, and challenges the crew of the Enterprise to disprove his belief. Q uses their current mission at Farpoint as a perfect situation to judge humanity in his version of a trial that will decide their fate. You will now answer to the charge of being a grievously savage race. Grievously savage could mean anything. I will answer only specific charges. Are you certain you want a full disclosure of human ugliness? So be it, fool. Present the charges! Encounter at Farpoint. Here we are, finally. Uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, September, uh, or is it Oct- Yeah, September of 1987, right? Or is it October? Shoot, September. Yeah, September. September. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. 25 years. My God. Um, yeah. So, uh, just to recap very quickly, uh, in case there are people who didn't follow, who didn't listen to our show on DS9, um, but wanted to listen to our show for Next Gen. Uh, the point of our podcast is that we review these episodes and, and we design our show so that you can listen to it as you're rewatching the series from start to finish. Uh, and we look back at these episodes with the benefit of hindsight. And we ask the question, what were they really trying to say? That was something that uh, Gene Roddenberry really always pushed in, in Star Trek. Uh, Michael Piller was famous for asking the question, what's it about? Um, and that's what we do. And as a general rule, when we don't have enough, uh, when we don't have the greatest answer for what it's about, when it isn't clear the kind of themes they were really discussing or what they were really trying to say with the episode, a lot of the times it doesn't hold up. Um, and then, of course, we try to ask a, we close out with a six degrees trivia question where we ask about an actor that played in multiple Star Treks. Um, going back to earlier next gen, that's going to be a little bit difficult. Uh, so I might occasionally switch to more traditional trivia questions. Okay. So here we are starting Star Trek, the next generation. And I'm just going to get out of the way very quickly. We don't have to go too much into it. We can mention it as we go, but one of the reasons we chose Next Gen was now was because they just started releasing the Blu-rays. Watching this thing in high def was an incredible experience. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, so happy to have that. But it's interesting because it makes me think about, honestly, I can close my eyes and so perfectly picture. I know some of our listeners are, were too young or not born yet. But in 1987, when this show premiered, I was 11 years old. And one of the few memories I have of my family sitting around the television together was this pilot. Not even the whole show. We didn't watch the whole show together. But I remember my brother and my my mother and my father, the four of us, sitting down um, in front of the television, which our television in September 1987 was like this. It was like basically a piece of furniture that was very large, but the actual television inside of it, the actual image was rather small. But, you know, (laughs) it sat on the floor. You know, it was almost, you know, if you've seen pictures of 80s TVs, that's what this was. And it was, it was like wood around the, the TV. It was like a wood thing. 
Um, my God, the thing was dated. Anyway, I can I can see us sitting there and watching this pilot together. And here's the cool thing about watching this in HD now, 25 years later. I have a feeling that in 1987, watching it on my TV, it looked the same as it does to me now. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. watching it in HD now is what the boyhood version of me thought I was seeing then. Right? Yeah, if that's I just the way it, it is. It's subjective, yeah, these things. Yeah. If I watched it now with, the, with what it looked like then, <laughs> it would be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so um, are you guys both watching it in HD? I am. I am not. You are not. Hey, I sent you the sampler disc that had the pilot on it. Well, yeah, I mean, I watched that, but... Um, yeah, but after that, you won't be. Okay. Um, so, obviously, that's not going to really affect our narrative conversation because they're not changing that sort of thing. But, um, okay, so they start this episode off, and they are clearly um, showing us many of the ways... Next Generation is going to be different from the original series. Um, Picard is obviously very different from Kirk. You know, in 1987, that's what we were, were comparing everything to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was was just the original series. And there was a lot of blowback. You know, there was a lot of... I remember even reading in like some... I don't even remember which ones it were. But I, I, I got those like magazines at the grocery store, right? That, that had mm-hmm. articles and things. I remember putting a poster of the Enterprise D that was like folded out from a magazine on my wall uh, as a kid that I'm pretty sure, it felt like I put it up before they even started the show. I don't know if that was true. Um, but I remember a lot of people were very, very skeptical in these like fan magazines and stuff. A lot of people were very, very skeptical. And really that lasted for years. It's, it felt like. Um, you, would, you, would, you would go years where you'd hear about fans of the original series and movies that would not even watch Next Gen. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, it was harder. It was harder for them. I mean, you know, they were actually still competing against the original crew. They were still doing movies, and so I think that probably made it a little bit more difficult for the original fans to kind of forget about the original show because you saw them every couple of years come out with the movies going on at the same time with um, Next Gen. For basically all of Next Gen's run, you know, the last original series movie was uh, fall of '91. Next Gen went off the air and spring of 94 so it was most of it um right right at the outset we see um we see picard turn turn uh, the enterprise d around and fly really really fast uh in the other direction from this almost tholian web thing that they you surrounded them with am i the only one that thought of the tholian web when that thing uh, it didn't hit me at the time but i can definitely see the resemblance uh-huh. yeah was uh was picard running because we know what Kirk would have done in that situation, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, old, uh, initially running, uh, certainly enough to get, uh, so they could get uh, the families separated off the saucer, you know, and so on. Well, that's that That right there is a very different uh, atmosphere, um, mm-hmm. families. What did you guys think of that at the time? I'm going to ask you that this question repeatedly today about lots of different things. Like, how do you feel about it? I mean, now, again, we take this for granted as and that and that. You know, and, and, and it's one of the things, too, when I talk about the, the subtle difference between a trekker and a trekkie, and I consider myself a trekker. I'm someone who goes on a journey, and I, and I think of this, this, this universe as this lived-in place where people live out their lives. And starting with Next Gen, I think we got that more than 
than we ever got it with the original series. You know, it was hard to imagine spending your life on Kirk's Enterprise. You know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I at the time I thought I thought it was interesting. It was one of those things that I, you know, I want to be part of that. I would like to, you know, you fantasize about being on there. I mean, in, in retrospect, it didn't take me long to think that it, it's not a wise thing from a, <laughs> you know, Starfleet is kind of essentially a military arm of the Federation, mostly, you know, that's debatable. But um, so, yeah, let's stick everyone's family on there. And then really right off the bat, we're we're witnessing a situation why that's a problem. You know, you have to go to great lengths to try to protect them um, when dealing with any kind of hostile force, you know. Then there's another side. I mean, if you think about it, you're in deep space for quite a while and if you want to have a family i mean i can see both sides of it. i see what you're saying it doesn't really technically make sense and um to say that um the starfleet is a yeah it's debatable um but i guess their mission is is to um explore you know not to um encounter war and stuff like that so it, it makes sense in a way to have to try this and have families on on the ship i mean yeah, I think I think it's it's kind of what Brian addressed, what we you addressed in the intro to this episode here, that um, you know, shows are a product of their time. You know, you can you can view them now. It's been twenty five years since this started, so you can you can begin to kind of take an anthro anthropomorphical kind of stance to it. You can look at it from a cultural standpoint. Why would you know? And I, I think that was this was the beginning, somewhat around the beginning of the time when people started taking notions of like work life balance a little more seriously to, to me for me that's why you saw this element in this show the families the most the most extreme uh, realization of this question is um we have a boy wesley crusher who is now the a, a lead character on this show mm-hmm. yeah you know how do you guys feel about that i don't they still haven't really you know we had we had jake on ds9 um but we you know we saw that while his name was in the opening credits every time, it, it seems to me he didn't figure into the show as nearly as significantly as uh, Wesley figured into Next Gen for the years that Wesley was on Next Gen. Yeah, you know, I, w- I would agree that they've never quite successfully pulled off a, uh, a child role where it's on par, the same level with with like the, all the other primary characters, you know, maybe they're in several episodes, uh, the majority of the episodes in some way, shape, or form. But to me, they're never quite or partic- quite or participating at the level, you know, of of the adult. I don't know why that is. I don't know why that's so hard to pull off in a show like this. But it's I just we haven't seen it yet. I mean, Wesley. You know, I, I'm kind of indifferent to him. Obviously, over the course of time, a lot of fans hated him and got tired of it <laughs> while he was on there. I, I was kind of indifferent, but there were it was it, there were an, there was a, se- a time span in there, pretty much starting with the second episode that we're going to talk about today. Where hey, let's see how many times this kid can save the ship. Why is everyone else <laughs> so incompetent? Uh, or he's just being annoying, or whatever. Um, or there's yeah, nothing I, for him to do. You know, it, well, the, we're definitely going to be able to talk about that more. Uh, in the next episode, but just as far as adding him to the show, and, and I remember as an eleven-year-old boy, I loved that Wesley, Wesley was on this show because mm-hmm. that's who I was like. That's that could be me, you know. Mm-hmm. He's a little, old, but that's um, at the time I was pretty excited about. It. I was pretty stoked about it. It was Will Wheaton from Stand by Me. That's probably that's where I yes. remember him from. <laughs> I definitely remember him. From that. Um. 
we can really bounce all over on this um on this episode uh one thing i was thinking about you know i i think one of the things that holds this episode back um structurally it's it's very odd uh and i th- it's probably because it was originally designed you know it was originally just the farpoint story it was originally just designed to be a you know a one hour episode which after commercial breaks you know 45 to 50 minutes I think next gen ended up being forty six most of the time, but anyway. Um, but the studio wanted a two hour premiere. They really wanted that. They kept pushing for that, so that's why they added in all the the cue stuff and things. And that's fine, but what you end up getting is an odd odd structure. So it's all, it's like what the first thirty or forty minutes. I think it's a half hour that were just. On the Q stuff, we don't even see uh, Riker, Crusher, Wesley LaForge. We don't see any of those people. It's just a couple of. It's just our a very few people on the bridge. The whole saucer reception thing, the kangaroo court with Q, which I I, I kind of like that section. We'll talk about that second. Um, but structurally, it's very odd uh, that we spend so much time there, and then we go to do the far point stuff. You know, and then there's this like resolution. So, but it does feel kind of like a couple of it, it has it one. It feels like two episodes in one, and mm-hmm. two, the two episodes that are there, they have a really odd, like a very. They're it's it's slowly paced. It's not just by today's standards, but I think even by 1987 standards, it felt slow. Mm-hmm. It felt like it feels it feels like to me, it's it's the pace of it felt like this is going to be a mini series. Like, okay, here's this, and now another show and you know it's just like day in the life whatever that kind of feel yeah well we think about it back then i mean two hour two hour television shows weren't as common as they are today i mean you know you get you get two hour television shows you know for season enders and all sorts of stuff so it was kind of to me i'm probably thinking it was a little bit of a new ground for them to do a you know a two you know two hour episode basically um, funny, you were, uh, just made me think of that when you were talking about it. I, I don't think about that structure, what you were talking about. If but if you're a first time viewer and you're watching this, it probably would be disconjointed because you know we all know who Riker is and LaForge and stuff like that. So, watching it over again today didn't really bother me that much because you go and you see Riker and you know who he is. But probably back then, it's like who? Are, I mean, now where are, where are we? Who are these guys? So it would be kind of probably more disconjointed for a first time viewer seeing this. Well, something you mentioned there. One thing that they got to do in this episode, which again, the compare we take for granted today, character introduction in a pilot, of course. Um, but the original series shows in the '60s and stuff, they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that this show took the time to intro the characters. Maybe it was expected in 1987, but it's something that we did, hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. We never really got an origin of anybody in um, the original series. Um, and we get something close to that here. We do see these characters, many of them, we see them meet each other for the first time. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, I thought I got varied a lot on how well the character felt like what I was used to seeing. Like, for example, LaForge felt like LaForge right off the bat to me. It felt like that, that's LaForge. I don't know if some of this is just how much of how much they developed over the course of the series or didn't develop or whatever, but some felt very natural right off and some felt not so natural right off. Like Troy and her incredible mm-hmm. uh, emotional experience. I don't think she's ever that that <laughs> No, they crazy. dialed that back right off. They I yeah, don't think yeah. yeah. <laughs> um 
Uh, Picard's pretty much, pretty much there immediately. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's certainly some things, but yeah, he's. I think I thought Riker was very much felt like Riker, you know, even without the beard, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but, I was gonna say <laughs> minus, minus the beard. Yeah. Um. Well, let's let's kind of run down. Let's see. You know, you're kind of an open. We get these characters. We see them, and we see them meet. We're going to start this show, and um, you give it the benefit of the doubt. Most of these characters, they're they're kind of an open book. We don't have. Um, at this point, we kind of don't have pre-definitions for a lot of these characters. The stereotypes. I mean, like you couldn't base stuff on the original series because. And even the opening uh, monologue, right, is where no man has gone before versus next gens where no one has gone before. It's been 20 years since the original series, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even basic stuff is going to have to be – it's just going to be very, very different. As opposed to, say, when DS9 started, um, we had all these templates. So, I, And this is something I kind of mentioned earlier that I'm going to say over and over and over. But there were so many things that this show created that I think we take for granted – you know, overall, I I don't think this is, um, you know, this is probably the weaker of all the Star Trek pilots. Yeah. Um, but I give it so much credit for creating this sandbox that all the future shows we're going to play in. Um, and, you know, because Roddenberry was still involved in the early days of Next Gen, you know, and definitely in the first season, you know, he co-wrote this episode, it's, uh, that shows how much his influence in some, in some way directly hit Trek as we know it all the way through, you know, just a decade ago or so. Well, arguably, even, even now, because well, sure. the only Trek we've had remotely recently has been Abrams' vision, Abrams' version of his exact characters. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, hmm. I, I like that they try and set up like uh, this history between a lot of characters. You know, you have Riker and Troy have this history. You know, the Imzadi stuff. Do you guys ever read the uh, Peter David novels? Yes. Long, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that they set up stuff like that, or the history between um, Picard and uh, Crusher. Mm-hmm. Um, little things that again stuff the original series never did i don't know that i ever felt ever felt like uh they really paid that stuff off um yeah maybe maybe Riker and short more than anything but um no um what do you guys think of the design of the enterprise on this show uh i i like it overall i always i always liked the um you know the galaxy class starships and uh and and again it's a somewhat of a product of its time too because the whole inside is so is, is plush in a way you know it's very clean it's very pristine it's bright you know it's 80s it's one of the things we talked about in our interview with with kk on our last episode was was how lit this episode was there's a there's a shot in here when uh i think it's uh Riker comes onto the bridge might be the first time he comes onto the yeah he comes onto the main bridge, and it's almost from like his POV uh, coming out of the triple lift, and and you see the the ceiling and that big bright kind of almost skylight light or whatever mm-hmm. uh, light you know and it comes down and and 
the bridge feels so warm and open and it's every it's so well designed to me in that every purpose every everything every station's purpose is so clear um it's not like uh, DS9 where they probably could have put people at different spots every single time. And I don't even think I would have noticed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it just reminded me how much I love the, the 1701 D's bridge, even more than the enterprise E like first contact. Um, I, it's, it's a cooler looking ship and stuff, but I, I probably like the enter the 1701 D's bridge. It's, it's more of a homey family, warm feeling I get when I see the 1701D's bridge than any other, I think. Well, it's it's wide open, partly. It's a, the biggest bridge out of all of them. And it's very open. You know, like you said, you had the window on the top. It's very brightly lit, so it's, um, it gives that, that warm, kind of homey feeling. You know, you talk about the bright lighting and the look of the ship. I think one one scene, and this is a little off topic, but uh, related to the, uh, that, I I really, you know, watching in, in high def, I really like the dark scenes. Like when they're in the ready room uh, and uh, R- uh, Riker and Picard are talking, and I think it's the scene where he's talking about, I don't want to, don't, don't make me look like an idiot in front of children kind of scene. And it's very dark in there. It's just kind of, there's some starlight or lights from a sun or whatever coming through there and uh of course that looks very good in the on the blu-ray yeah you see so much that you never saw before when stuff is dark mm-hmm. yeah there were tons there were several times when i was like holy crap that looks awesome in hd i remember the first time like data fired a hand phaser something about the phaser beam is the, the, the hand phaser looked incredible to me in hd that i never mm-hmm. th- that in the other, in the old version, I know that's a that's a new completely. Anything like that is going to be a completely new effect. Um, the other thing I really noticed in HD were the the they didn't, we never really had a name for the aliens, did we? But the, the aliens, the little tendrils with the hair on them, I never saw that hair before at all. Like when their their tendrils are touching. Oh yeah. Uh, if anything, that's such a beautiful moment. Um, it's made a little bit less beautiful with the little hairs somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's one of the things that's better in the SD version. <laughs> you know, the, the, there, there's so many moments of promise in here. Um, I, there's a moment where Data says something to the effect of, sorry, I seem to be commenting on everything. And then um, Riker says, oh, what does he say? I keep doing it, my friend. Yes, keep doing it, yeah. Um it was one of like this little character moment when I'm like, where I felt like um, that's the exact thing that this episode needed way, way more of. You know, it's a, it's a big job. It's not just introing these characters. It's it's introing this universe, and that's a responsibility that DS9 did not have. Yeah. Heck, DS9 didn't even have to introduce the whole the Bajoran Cardassian conflict. Even that next gen introed for them. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so they had a, they had a lot to do in here, and it's I, I feel I don't think it's fair to fault them for some of these things. Um, the last thing I want to talk about before we get into what it's about is is Q, um, a character that of course is going to stay with the entire series, come on to the the other series. Um, didn't work so good in, uh, on DS Nine, but worked great on Voyager. So he had many visits there. In fact, probably. I think my favorite Q stuff probably is the Voyager stuff. But at any rate, the point is he was a character that that had a lot of range. Um, um, a very 
Roddenberry kind of character. I've I've seen uh, comparisons over the years to was it Trelane, the original series? Yeah. Character? yeah. Uh, I think that's 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 a fair uh, kind of comparison. Um, you do, I do kind of wonder, like right at the on the uh, from the outset in this episode, you kind of have a hard time understanding. Not that's 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 the wrong way to put that. Totally not what I meant. I mean. You, I find myself wondering, what's he up to? What's his game? Um, I think by the end of the episode, it's not as quite as satisfying an answer to that question as I thought I was going. To, it was going to, I was going to have, you know. Um, but you're you're always kind of wondering about that. You're always you're always kind of trying to figure out the character. Um, what do you guys think of the character, his place in this show, his place in this pilot? Well, I'm glad I'm glad they made him. Obviously, they had a lot of great shows with him. And, and it's really, for me, it's mostly the, his interaction with Picard. I mean, it's Q and Picard, and, and that was also established right away in this episode. And, and it's one of the best things about Q, really, is how they spar with each other. Well, it's interesting what they do in this this whole series and obviously they did it a lot better in DS9 you know they first started doing it here in Next Gen is that you have have a story arc that starts here in um, the very first um, pilot episode and it continues till the very last episode um, it's a lot more detailed in DS9 and it's a lot more integral but um, the patterns started here in um, Next Gen with um, Q and these um, these questions about um, is is humanity worthy of 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 being in space or be, or existing even um, that's what Q asks and he challenges um you know Picard you know he's he's the representative of the human race in in this series and he challenges him to question himself his humanity and humanity's role in this you know whole um you know whole show so it's um it's it was very integral to me and it's um one of the more key things that I love about this series and. Um, I'll enjoy watching it again going forward. One of the things I think uh, about Q in this episode, of course, his little his kangaroo court. Um, it's it's a little hard to get a, a a feel on exactly when this like this the court was after some kind of a global restructuring after a global war. I'm, I've always been a little hazy on that. He, he explicitly says it's the year 2079. But anyway, I, I, I like that whole that scene a lot, actually. Um, I like the idea of a, a, a literal trial for humanity, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to answer the charge of being a grievously savage race. Maybe if, if nothing else, I, I remember it so well because of how beautifully they revisited that um, in the series finale, All Good Things. Um, but I do like that. And Caesar, what you were just saying, I think gets right into the discussion about what this what this episode is about. Um, and I, I I don't really think they were successful. Uh, if if that's what they were, if that's what they're asking, you know, is humanity uh, doomed? <laughs> uh, is humanity being is humanity capable of evolving uh, into a a uh, kind, empathetic species, or are uh, or are our instincts, you know, to destroy? Are are we bar- barbarians? Um, if that's what they were trying to be about, then I don't think it was 
I don't think it was successful in even making the question clear. I, I think that it does feel like multiple episodes. So, it, you know, it feels like we leave the question so much. What do you guys think it's about? Do you think that's what they were going for? Do you think it was successful in answering the question? Well, I kind of think it's a more of an overarching theme. It doesn't just apply to this episode. It applies to the series. And obviously, that's a lot easier to see when you've seen the whole series from start to finish. And um, the, the question that you, you, that's posed in this, um, this episode really isn't answered until the very last episode, until we get to All Good Things. I mean, the trial goes through the whole thing, even though we don't know it, and I'm sure it wasn't really planned. But it's um, to me, this is a more of an art. This is more this uh, kind of basically like their mission statement for this series. This is what this is going to be about. I'm looking at humanity and and how it's evolved in in the Star Trek universe, and and will it continue to evolve? And is it worthy? Um, and I don't think it just applies to this episode. It applies to the whole series. Yeah, I would I would concur with that notion. And uh, so, as far as this episode, I think say, trying to figure out what it's about is a little hazy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's there. There's also the general idea of the kind of make love not war vibe, and I think that's a Roddenberry thing. You know, you you see in this, you see right off the bat a lot of things that the original series had too, and they're in their Roddenberry philosophies. The notion of um, you know, we we the the most important thing you can do is to you know like what they did. They took they basically captured an alien and used that alien to serve their needs. You know, uh, in the end, it's resolved by essentially instead of using their phasers, they turn it into an energy thing. You know, there's kind of some symbolism there. I think you know it's use your tools to do good versus to wage war, something of that nature. So. Is this a good episode? Was it successful with these questions? Does it hold up? I would say if you just watched this episode by itself and didn't watch any other Star Trek episode, Next Gen episode, and why would you do that? Then um, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, exactly. but if if you if you say that this episode, I say this episode holds up as a as a good starting point for a, a new series. Um, what kind of direction they want to go in? So I would say yes, it does hold up. I, yeah, I would qualify. What I would say is, I would say it's it's good for first season next gen, and it's also good in what like you spoke of Brian, how it's a good take takes credit for being a starting point for a franchise that went on for almost twenty years, or you know, an extension of a franchise as a standalone something, you know, to answer questions it poses, that kind of thing. No, I think it's only fair, and it's not just it's not just pacing. I mean, if it was recut. If they tightened it up massively, took out 10 or 15 minutes and tightened everything else up, it wouldn't make it drastically better. No. Right? No. Mm. So I guess we're kind of agreeing that we're, we're, we're giving them a little bit more of a pass than normal uh, from the point of view that it's, that it's creating so much from thin air. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. Mm. Oh, we'd be totally remiss if we did not mention D. Kelly's cameo as McCoy. That's it's. I I hate that the most beautiful scene in the entire pilot is the scene with the guy from the other show. But I really <laughs> feel that way. That's that scene. I almost I, I get goosebumps every time. It's it's he's so he has such a presence. His lines are so perfect. You know, I can I yeah. can anytime hear him saying you 
you, she's got the right name. You treat her like a lady. She'll always bring you home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a it's a beautiful scene. It's the it's the most beautiful scene in, in the episode for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it, it they over the top that they play the, the the music, and there's this kind of music is is a lot. There's a lot of it in this show where it definitely has an '80s feel because they're using a lot of synths and the like, you know. But it's, so there's a little bit of a cheese factor. But for me, it's a nostalgia thing. It makes me think of mm-hmm. up, you know. It makes me think of you know being a kid in the '80s, and uh, and then of course you know like yeah, D. Kelly, and now that he's gone, especially for for some time now, all that together makes it a very emotional scene. Yeah, there there are a lot of little things they do in this pilot that they don't do ever again. Just little little technical things, like the titles are over black at the beginning. The end titles are scrolls. Um, the music is constantly there's like themes. I think they do that earlier next gen, but they're going to get rid of that fairly quickly. Um, like you hear the next gen theme, like when the saucer se- section separates, for example, they play the well, Jerry Goldsmith's original his theme from this little behind the scenes comment. I think sometimes our listeners like when I talk about those. You know, uh, Dennis McCarthy had actually written a Star Trek Next Generation theme, but Gene Roddenberry didn't like it. I have a feeling he just he'd always. I wonder if he had, if he'd always planned to use uh, Jerry Goldsmith's music from the first movie because he loved it so much. So all he really kept was the opening, and then immediately. Uh, of Dennis McCarthy's music and then immediately goes into the fanfare, which even McCarthy's opening was, I think, Alexander Courage's opening from the original series. So anyway, um, you know, that theme, that little fanfare is repeated in the middle of the episode. These are these are the little things that, um, uh, you know, they're going to quickly change. Uh, but when you think about Farpoint compared to the rest of the series, compared to a lot of other television, especially television from the 80s, um, they didn't really have to do much correction from the pilot to the series. They didn't do that many, make that many changes, you know. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. So we're giving it a little bit of a pass because uh, they do such a good job of setting this stuff up. Overall, certainly as a standalone episode, doesn't hold up quite so well. And would not, definitely not be your first choice for, oh, I feel like watching a Star Trek episode tonight. <laughs> yeah. No, no. And, I would agree with not, what you said. It would be one of the more weaker. It, it probably is the weakest um, series opener of all of the of all, all the Star Treks, really, of all the series. And, but I mean, also, they do. But they do a great job setting everything up. I mean, you know, you have to you have to take this episode in a in a whole as as the series of the whole because every you know the things that they lay out in this episode you're going to see throughout the whole entire series and that that was new for Star Trek especially because the original series was like like what we said all the episodes virtually were standalone episodes and this one was just setting up where we're going to have themes from here on out that are that are originating in this episode so okay so let's move on six degrees for uh, next gen so you know, especially earlier episodes, like I said, I'm gonna have a little trouble with my normal type of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, I might end up just changing the game if I have to. But mm-hmm. uh, Adam, yes, Michael Bell plays Grappler Zorn, the bandy that enslaves an alien to create his Farpoint station. In DS9's second season, he played Borum, the Bajoran prisoner on Cadassia Four in the episode The Homecoming. Name the famous Bajoran prisoner that Borum risks his life to save. 
The famous Bajoran prisoner. Mm. <laughs> I'm rolling through the, the Rolodex of um, Bajoran names here. Um, I can't. I can't think of it. Sorry, Steve. Oh gosh. Um, oh, it, um, Lee Nollis was that him? You are, you are correct. It was Lee Nollis. Uh, Steve, this is a really tough one. Kalamini <laughs> <laughs> uh, plays the Battle Bridges con officer. His character would not be given a name until later next gen, but he would eventually play the same character on DS9. <laughs> <laughs> Name the character. Uh, yeah, that's a hard one. All right. Um, Miles Edward O'Brien. Okay, you're right. Let's move on. The Naked Now, Season 1, Episode 2, Production Number 103, Original Air Date, October 5th, 1987. Teleplay by J. Michael Bingham, Story by John D. F. Black and J. Michael Bingham, Directed by Paul Lynch. Music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Brick Brooke Bundy as Sarah McDougal, Benjamin W. S. Slum as Jim Shimoda, David Renan as Khan, Skip Stelrecht as Engineering Crewman, and Kenny Koch as Kissing Crewman. The Enterprise and crew are summoned to investigate strange occurrences aboard the starship USS Tislavsky, which has been monitoring the collapse of an orange, red-orange star. Once aboard the troubled vessel, the away team finds the ship littered with food, wine, discarded clothes, and several frozen bodies, but no survivors. Constitution-class starship Enterprise, Captain James T. Kirk, commanding. Similar conditions. They were monitoring a planet that was breaking up and not a collapsing star, as in this case. But there were the same huge shifts in gravity. Which somehow resulted in complex strings of water molecules, which acquired carbon from the body and acted... acted on the brain like alcohol. Okay. The Naked Now. Hmm. Interesting first episode. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, this is kind of a sequel to an original series episode. Um, they would say it was an homage, not a remake. But, uh, of course, the show, this is the one thing I remember hearing at the time. And I, I grew, you know, Steve and I both grew up in a tiny little town. Uh, there are more people, more people live on the block behind me in my current house than the entire city, I think, that Steve and I grew up in. <laughs> um, and even in that little town, I remember, um... I remember like people complaining that oh look they they can't even do their own show they have to just remake an original yeah, series episode. I remember hearing that too. Yeah. And the 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 cast from the original show made fun of them for this and it was probably not even if we'll get into what we think of the episode. I personally think it's a bad episode. But even if the episode had been better, I don't think it would have you know helped much in that arena. You know, I think they still would have been criticized. Um it probably wasn't so, the best best show to come out of the gates with. Maybe if they placed this one in the middle of the first season, it could have played a little better, but it's hard to say. So it makes sense from the point of view that we're going to, you know, if you, if you compare it to the, the original series episode and you see uh, Sulu running around with a saber, for example, that doesn't illuminate his character, really, to me. It doesn't show me his character motivations uh, in, the, in the same way that uh, showing me that uh, Crusher and Picard have a thing for each other. Um, that shows me something about their characters that's meaningful. And um, doing that early on in the show, putting them in this situation where they're going to lose these inhibitions, um, there's some logic to that. 
you know, it, it, it is illuminating to the characters. And, and, um, but still, it doesn't change the fact that you're, it, you come off looking like you're not original, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you think they could have been better served just using a different idea? Because, I mean, I, I like the concept. It's, it's basically throwing the viewers in the pool because you don't really know the, I mean, we know these characters from the pilot, and so we don't really know them all that well. And yeah, we're showing a, a lot in this one little episode, the character relationships. Obviously, we were set up a little bit with Riker and Troy, so we see that coming. Um, um, what do we have, Yar and um, Data in this one? So there's a lot of like craziness going on in this episode for just the, the first standalone. And it's, I kind of, like I said, equated to you're throwing the viewer in the pool and just have, this is what it is. It's It's kind of disconcerting, but... It works now. Yeah, well, you know, that's another thing, too. It, from that point of view, okay, from what you were just saying, it's almost like maybe I don't have enough of, uh, established – maybe I haven't established the characters enough to get this crazy with them. You know, showing me that, that Crusher and Picard have a thing for each other is one thing. Um, showing me – I don't know. Showing me show, – showing Yar having sex with Data is <laughs> – that's totally different. That's a lot more extreme, you know. Um, and the sad thing is, you know, they, they they set it up like he was going to be a player, and he just didn't didn't happen for him the rest of the years. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of, of course. There, yeah. There's some stuff in this episode. There's some stuff here that I think is funny that wasn't meant to be. Like Jordy at the beginning, Jordy shows that he's sick by being an ass. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you're sick because you're being an ass. You know? Yeah, uh, it's kind of well. And then like like Picard standing, I think yeah, when he was standing next to Jordy, are you sure that he isn't contagious? That whole that whole ship died. All those people died. Are you sure he's okay? Yeah, he's not contagious. We're standing right in front of him on the entire ship of eighty people. They're all dead. Right. You know, and, and, I, yeah. The whole contag- that's a little bit of a goofy thing too is the whole contagious thing because you know later on when you know Riker carries Troy to the room and into the uh, sick bay and then Riker comes in there and touches the doctor in kind of an odd way anyway but and then she's like oh you touch him you touch me so now it's contagious I never heard anyone announce that we all know it's contagious if you touch you know, maybe that's something they should have like announced <laughs> or, you know or something yeah that, I, I, they, they put I like- should- should have put that on, uh, you know, like Neelix would have put that on his morning briefing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, so I, I like thinking about this way. It's like um, whoever could hold their alcohol the best wasn't affected as quickly. So, um, like Riker, yeah, Riker, Riker, Riker's a drinker. He he was able to hold his alcohol. <laughs> yeah, he's also the you know the poker player. We find out later too. He's just kind of he's just kind of the man or whatever you know. <laughs> I I do like um, I do like the scene of. Picard like resisting when he's like, not now, doctor. You know that. that <laughs> I kind of like that. Well, it's humorous. Um, I don't, do, is, was that their intention so, from your readings, or I, just... I think so. <clears throat> but yeah, but but that's that's kind of that thing. Like without a baseline, you're like, <laughs> is that funny? Is that normal? I don't know what normal is yet for this guy. <laughs> you know. Well, he's gonna um, get he's gonna get a lot crankier for the rest of the season. So <laughs> enjoy it now. <laughs> Yeah, so I think in general, this is we're we're going to define this not to be a, a very good episode. I don't think it'd be a very good episode in any point in the series, but maybe with a little bit of context, like later in the first season or something, it might have been better. You know, a little bit. Well, in hindsight, it's better because we can look at it and laugh about because we all know these characters so well. Um, yeah. 
Um, but I remember looking, you know, we, I didn't talk about it when we opened this about when I first watched this show. I don't think I really liked it that much when I first started watching it. Um, I was a avid, avid watcher of the original series every Saturday. And when this one kind of came on, it kind of felt, I don't know. I can't, I can't quite recall the feeling how to describe it, but, um, yeah, this, I remember I watched the first couple episodes of this. I didn't really like the, the show. I kept with it obviously, but mm-hmm. A little just, too silly. Yeah, I remember Farpoint. Like Farpoint, it. I was I was excited because it was Star Trek. I was excited about it before it came out, and then when I watched it, I was like, "Yes, this, you know, it's it's Star Trek." And I was, and it was still this tech show and and the ship and everything, and 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 I was into it, and I was looking forward to it. And then this episode, I do, I believe it or not, I think I remember this episode. And the only other episode from the first season I remember is the one that I really liked. That we're gonna. We'll, talking to the end the one one zero zero one zero zero one but i remember this episode is almost turning me off to the show because i even i didn't i didn't think like as a little kid i wasn't con I, you know i wasn't analyzing these things i wasn't like oh that was not a good episode i wasn't thinking like that i just i just knew that i didn't like it um although even the 12 the 11 year old me did think that yar was incredibly attractive oh, oh yeah so. definitely still yeah. is well- and I did, this this episode didn't do well for Wesley Crusher, you know. This kind of you know, he's he this was annoying Wesley in this episode. Mm-hmm. Obviously it wasn't his fault, but it's just like yeah. So this is what we we kind of hinted at or mentioned in the in our discussion of the previous just the concept of having this boy on the ship. So so here he is and and wow is he like, you know, it's it's almost like he would have to be one in a million like the legendary intelligent boy to be able to do all these things that he he runs the ship. You know, mm-hmm. um, and if you could really do that at his age, that would be pretty crazy. You would be pretty extraordinary. You would not be ordinary, right? Yeah, well, that's for certain. Um, so it does feel a little bit like. Well, I I don't ever remember uh, Jake um, uh, taking over the station and then saving it all by himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, in this case, Wesley messed up the station and then saved it. <laughs> yeah. I kept having. I'm sorry. This is probably like a production thing, but you know, while the, Riker and the um, the first engineer, we're going to go through a couple engineers before we actually get to Jordy. Um, you know, they're sitting there trying to cut the power, and they're looking through the window. I'm like, why don't you just break the window and go through that way, or cut a little hole in the window? <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the production things that that really makes it feel dated, and I know they correct this later in the show. I'm just not sure where. It's it's, it's something about the the way they recorded the sound. Do you guys hear this at all? Like, yeah, I heard him walking. Just, you can hear the footsteps. Yeah, like walking around the bridge. You hear like, you hear the wooden bridge. You hear the wood sound. Like yeah, that's not yeah. what the bridge is going to sound like, right? It's to attribute that to early on technical things that didn't get straightened out. Well, it must have been straightened out at some point because I don't, I didn't, I, I didn't remember that. You know, if you watch the original series, that's there the entire series. And I think that those were the limitations of recording of the day. Um, and, and not just recording, but mixing. You know, they didn't have that uh, digital so like they did for Next Gen. So they didn't even fix that in the um, the new versions, huh? The, some of the sound errors. I, I, I tried finding a, like a list. There probably is something somewhere. Of, I mean, you know, because in this, these new HD versions that are being completed right now here in 2012, um, the Okudas are, they're very, very selective, but the Okudas are having them fix occasional, very minor things. Uh, the one I saw... One I saw for this stuff was in this episode. Originally, even though they referenced 
the original series episode, The Naked Time, in that when they're looking on the uh, data, looks up the information on the computer. Mm-hmm. And he mentions Constitution class, and clearly they're re- they're reading about what happened during Naked Time. It showed the refit Enterprise from the motion picture, which you know it probably should have been the original series Enterprise. So that was that was one thing they changed is they they swapped it with the not the refit the, Consti- the Constitution blueprints. Yeah, so that little bitty flash of the Enterprise, it's the original series Enterprise instead of the motion picture Enterprise, but. That, that and that kind of minor thing. Honestly, if I hadn't read that, I never even would have noticed it. I'm totally fine with that. Um, I think if if we ever do the original series, you know, some of those choices by necessity were much bigger differences. Um, but here, it's going to be little stuff like that. So, you know, we might mention as we go. But um, it, it's it's weird this effect of watching it in HD because, like I like I mentioned earlier, that really is what it feels like. It feels like what the eleven-year-old version of me thought I was watching, and, and in a way, it's great because it lets it lets us get all that crap out of the way. It's like this is what the show is, and, and sort of always was. And we don't, you know, we can put all that stuff out of the way, and we can just totally um, uh, watch it and hate it, love it, whatever, better or worse in a completely unbiased sort of it's it's very freeing i guess is what i'm saying mm-hmm. it, it's weird it's 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 not the experience i've ever had watching something else in hd for the first time you know stuff that i was used yeah. to sd over the years that now i get to watch in hd it's a very different experience here um even somehow it's even different than the original series um i guess because the difference between what i used to see and what i see now is so much more pronounced um but it's it's a very unique experience. I I can't tell you how just thrilled though that I am that that you know future generations are are they're going to experience it this way and they're always going to know it this way. Um, so when I say to you that I think Naked Now is not a good episode, <laughs> you know that it's that it's from the heart and it's fair. <laughs> it's it's completely fair. Um, well, for the, for you first time viewers out there, please um, keep watching. It's it, it gets better. Um, I know this probably wasn't wasn't probably what you were hoping for, but it does get better. Well, the the other problem that Next Gen has is that these first couple seasons, <clears throat> every writer is going to be in and out the door so fast. There's no there's no like sense of continuity until later in Next Gen. You know, when you get into the third and fourth seasons, and then we get something. Honestly, every, whenever I whenever I picture Next Gen, it's not like DS Nine where I could picture DS Nine pretty much any time throughout its life. When I picture Next Gen, I kind of jumble up most of the first two or three seasons. I really do. Like, most of those episodes, I really jumble them up. It's not until, you know, midway through the entire series that we get what I think of as the the show. Now, obviously, all three of us are <coughs> Star Trek fans, or we would not be doing this. Um, um, but in my mind, Mr. Stephen Embry is the biggest Next Gen fan I've ever known. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it. I think it's um, you know, I I really got into Star Trek with Next Gen. You know, I went back to see the original series when I started watching after starting watching Next Gen, and you know, caught up and did that too. And I and I still and I believe now that DS Nine is my favorite series. But you know, I I know what you're saying. Like comparatively, you know, Next Gen. It's because I I grew up with it and I watched each episode 
multiple times because I was just taking in as much trek as I could and I enjoyed it that much. And so, I, I don't know, you'd call me an expert on it, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really well versed in next gen. Well, and, and also given that Mr. Caesar's uh, and not at this time watching it in HD anyway, what are your thoughts? This is the last thing before we say what it's about. Uh, what are your thoughts as far as, you know, we're going to get this HD discussion out of the listeners, I promise. I, I know the purpose of our show is for you to watch it, to listen to this as you watch the show, right? So mm-hmm. 30 years from now, when so many people are listening to our podcast, because they will be. Uh, <laughs> it won't even be a question. <laughs> well, but, well, by then they'll have the 16 by 9 versions because they'll, they'll digitize the sides there by then. Because <laughs> they're like, they're not even going to be able to find the SD versions anymore anyway. So I, I promise we're not going to focus on these HD conversations. But, you know, h- how is this affecting, as, as without a doubt, the person who has watched Next Gen more than, more than Caesar or myself? Yeah. yeah, it's. Um, I agree with what you say. You know, it's it's a very special thing because I've seen those others uh, so often. I think that I think what you're what you're saying. Uh, the reason that is is because of the subject the subjective experience. You know, you you um, w- there's an expectation. You know, you you see something and there's a, there's a bit of a distraction when it's when you're. It's because we're so used to seeing certain things. I mean, I watch movies now. That it's pretty much always in high definition. I mean, unless I'm at the theater or something. If I'm at home, it's almost always I'm watching whatever it is in high definition. And so you see something that's not, there's a little bit of a distraction element. And now going further to your question, yeah, it's it's special because it also, because it gives me something else to enjoy. I've seen most of these so many times growing up that, not, I mean, I can't like quote the lines as it goes, but I, I know it back and forth most of these episodes. So it, it adds to me something else. You know, it's like, okay, Okay. I mean, if we were doing this without having the, the the HD versions come out, it probably wouldn't even be necessary for me to watch these to engage in these conversations, <laughs> although I, I would. But now, going through them, I definitely would because they're in HD and there's there's new things to see. It's like, wow, that scene looks incredible or check out that effect or whatever. You know, it's does, it, does it make Naked Now any better of an episode? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds, I didn't mean that as a joke. I, I'm honestly... It certainly makes it a lot better than if I was watching it again in, in standard definition or something, <laughs> preparing for this, because it's, it's something to look for. It's like, man, everyone's so clear in all the colors and the lights and darks, you know, that kind of thing. It, it's yeah, something. I guess for me, it doesn't. It does not. It does not make it a better episode, but it def- certainly makes. It allows me to enjoy watching it more than I ever have. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um. I feel like we kind of glossed over a lot of what actually happens in this episode because for the most part we just don't care for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mentioned that Yara was attractive. Yes. Uh, I well, like I think, her, I, I, they could have fixed that if she just wore that as her uniform all the time. <laughs> yeah, I bet the ratings would have gone up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Troy calls Riker Bill. That's always weird. Yeah. Time, I think that happens. Yeah. I still never understand exactly how data gets infected. Exactly. I guess yeah. I, he's an android. He has some, but but still, that's kind of weird. He's got uh, blood, remember? Okay. <laughs> maybe in addition to this being an alcohol-like kind of thing, maybe it also kind of behaves like an STD. <laughs> <laughs> A very fast-working one. Uh, you know, the moment when Data, when they convinced Data to, to put the chips back in, and he says, "Ah, a game." I remember thinking, "Man, it's amazing just how well between that and like and Picard's this stuff about, you know." Um, not now, Doctor. You know, it's it's amazing just how quickly uh, Picard and Data both have their characters down. I love the moment when 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 Picard says, 
okay, Bev, and rolls his eyes and turns away. I, I don't know why I've always loved that, but I've always liked it. It makes me laugh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't have much else to say. We've, we've kind of covered it. And, and as far as what it's about, um, uh, mm-hmm. people yeah. like silly when they're intoxicated. Yes. Um, yeah, that's about it, huh? Okay. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, six degrees for um, Naked Now. Uh, folks, our conversations will be so much more exciting the more we like the episodes, I promise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what do we got? Steve's got to do? Yeah. Steve's got to. All right. Uh, well, with the exception of... Um, Steve, remind me, is or Caesar, if you may remember, what, is the flashback episode this one or... or you know, the, or season two, the the clips episode. Uh, I think yeah, that's season two. two. Yeah, season two. Okay, so I mean, that's that episode's pretty one terrible. Of the worst ever. Yeah, it's probably that's that's probably that's the one episode I can think of out of a hundred and seventy-eight or something uh, that I'm positive is worse than Naked Now. So, okay, Steve, the original series episode on which this episode is based was called the naked now in what season of original series did that episode air oh, the, the naked time you mean naked or, time yeah naked time. yeah this is this is the naked now right the original yeah. series so with naked time uh in what in what season of original series did that episode air oh gosh i'm not absolutely positive um was it the first you are correct it was the first it was the sixth episode uh adam this episode features the first of many officers in the revolving door of chief engineer of the 1701D. In what season did LaForge assume those duties permanently? Season two. You are correct. It was season two. Uh, Steve wins for today. Yay, Steven. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, everybody. Thank you for listening to our lengthy discussion of uh, the opening of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, you can... Leave a review for us on iTunes because that's the most awesome thing ever. It helps other people find us. We really appreciate that. Um, you can come back in two weeks as we talk about episodes we like way more than these. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Code of Honor is in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's not that one. Yeah. Wait, and then we'll get into ones we like. <laughs> hey, we should with code of honor we'll, we'll just we are going to go into it knowing that it's terrible and we'll get it out of the way we'll laugh and it'll be great okay uh but other than that you know you know i i are i can i can see the email in my mind that, that someone's going to send me about how much they love <laughs> <laughs> go ahead go ahead and do that i respect i respect i respect our listeners i really do uh okay so you can leave us a review on itunes you can follow us on twitter that's at trek companion uh our facebook page is facebook.com slash trek companion you can send us an email that's trek companion at gmail.com and uh 50 episodes thank you listeners see you next time till next time guys bye bye one last thing uh you know next month in december we're going to be doing our uh annual uh holiday themed episode where we just talk some star trek stories so if anybody has any ideas for stuff they'd like to hear us talk about if you have some personal stories you want to include uh you know start generating those ideas and let us know that's going to be uh you know mid mid-december thanks